Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Um, I sent a letter out um, two weeks ago asking uh, for you to be here and to just come um, and hear a word from me, from your pastor's heart. First, let me just say, I'm not here to resign, okay? I'm not going anywhere. If you want me gone, you can take a vote later, and those of you who were going to celebrate can do that later. So it's not that. Um, there's some things that, uh, that have been heavy on my heart as we've walked through a challenging year. And let me start this way. I'm not here today to share a little bit of my heart to try to win an argument. This is not about an argument. This is not trying to prove my point or to prove my case. I want to share with you a word from my heart. As I said, I'm not resigning. I don't have some big moral failure. I am a sinner saved by God's grace very imperfect. I'm not here to condemn. I'm here to share. I'm here to share what I believe God has put on my heart in a time that I think is very critical. Let me pray before I dig in. Would you pray with me? Lord, thanks for being our God. Lord, I want to thank you for the great privilege of being able to lead your people here at West Hill. It's an honor and it's a privilege. And Lord, this morning, um, we've talked a lot, Lord, and... uh, You've laid these things on my heart, and I pray that you would help me to be able to communicate them in a way that would honor you most. Help us to listen to your spirit that indwells in us, that has made its home in us. Help us to listen to you. Help us to walk out of here different. Because we've met with you, the true and living God. So, Lord, I need your help this morning. Help me to communicate your truth. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. A year ago, the week leading up to Sunday, March 15th, that Sunday, Todd and Jen James, our missionary to Thailand were to be with us. They had flown out from the state of Washington and were in Ohio and were going to be worshiping with us and sharing. That week was quite a week. I sent you two different emails and communications. I want to read to you a little bit of those because I think it's important for us to remember. Again, I'm not here to win an argument. I'm not here to tell you what was right or what was wrong. All I ask is that you just listen. So the first one went like this. Greetings in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The leadership at West Hill have been attentive and are aware of the coronavirus, COVID-19. This is a time where we want uh, to continue to do the little things that make a difference and show that our faith in Jesus can supersede any fears we may face on this earth. We also feel it is important to live and lead in such a way 
that is proactive. Our leadership team has gathered information and put together some action points that we feel will help assist our church family and the ministries the Lord has granted us to have. We will adjust and communicate these strategies as necessary in the days moving forward. The Bible communicates that we should obey those whom God has placed in authority over us whenever possible. We will continue to monitor our state's proactive efforts to minimize the spread and mitigate the impact of COVID-19 in Ohio and in our nation. At this current time, we will continue to gather and meet together as our regular schedule is laid out. If you're not feeling well and are at home, please feel free to log into our live feed. It is during times like this that we can love, support, encourage, and continue to spread the message of hope that Jesus brings. As disciples of Jesus, we want to encourage one another to live by faith and not by fear. 1 John 4:18, perfect love casts out fear. See how God can use you in your conversations at work, at school, at the store, and at home to reflect the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. As always, if you have any questions or concerns, please do not hesitate to communicate with us. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. In Christ's love, Pastor Aaron and West Hill leadership. That was March 11th. March 13th, two days later, I wrote this. Greetings in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope to continue to write letters that say greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That will be good, right? Continue to be good. As we follow up to my initial communication, I want to continue to communicate where we are as leadership at West Hill and the action steps we are taking at this stage in response to what is taking place in our communities, state, nation, and in the world. I ask us to consider this question. What is our part to play in what is taking place? We are striving to make decisions, not based on fear or foolishness, but by using wisdom and direction from the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which if you didn't know, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. The following are action steps that we feel will best assist our church family at this time and are in line with the information that we have gathered from medical and government officials. Effective at noon tomorrow, Saturday, March 14th, we are canceling all meetings and services that meet at West Hill through March 27th. We will not have our typical services this Sunday, March 15th, and next Sunday, March 22nd, but we'll be providing our services live stream, and they will begin at 1030. We are currently working on the details of what this service will look like, but encourage you to participate and join us remotely. Our staff is working on a list of those who in our church family are currently at higher risk. We would like to encourage each of us to reach out to those individuals and others, neighbors, friends, family, in the days ahead through a phone call, email, text, card, etc., to support and see if they would need any help in any way. Maybe this is um, grabbing from the store for them or dropping off at their, their doorstep. It may be just having a conversation and showing that we care about them. If you'd be interested in receiving this list, then just please email us. We'd like to encourage each of you to give faithfully to the ministry so that our operating and faith promise missions needs may continue to be met. We will continue to update our church family as to the other actions that we may need to move, that we may need to take moving forward. Please know that our heartbeat is to care for our people. We want to do our best to protect those who, with exposure, this could be life-altering. We have the privilege to allow Jesus to shine through us in this time of un such uncertainty. May his grace and mercy flow into you and from us, into and from us, and may it be said that this is one of Christ's church's finest hours. But be intentional in finding ways to minister to others during this time. These action steps are not forever. They may be painful and they may require some sacrifice, but what joy it is to share together the opportunity the Lord has laid before us. In Christ's love, Pastor Aaron and leadership at West Hill. I'm not going to read to you every single email that we sent out or communication, but hopefully it takes you back and it gives you a little perspective. 
What's changed? Well, we thought and we were told that what we were going to go through was similar to the 1918 Spanish flu, which if you do some history and research, that 1918 Spanish flu killed over 50 million people worldwide. In October of 1918, over 195,000 died in America in one month, the month of October. It's one of the most deadly months in our history as a nation. Well, what we know today is COVID-19 is not the Spanish flu. And we should praise God for that. Amen? COVID has taken the life of 2.6 million people. As of right now, 521,000 in America. I am not going to argue how many of those are real and how many of those are not. It is not about what that says. What it says is that people have died, whether through normal living or through this virus. People continue to die, and you and I, if the Lord should tarry, are going to die too. What we know is that the severity of this virus hit the elderly, those who were immunocompromised, and those with other health issues. Nursing homes were hit very hard, but schools and universities were not so. That's what we know. So, let's turn to the scriptures. I said in one of my, that first email, that I believe scripture says, and you heard me preach it, that the Bible talks about submitting to our authorities. So what does the Bible say about navigating a time like this? Well, I believe that principles are shown in scripture. I think that's a key way of explaining it, principles. And I'll show you, I want to show you my point. This morning, I'm not putting any verses up. Um, if you want to take notes or you want a copy of my notes, I'll be glad to give them to you so you can have scripture passages. Uh, I, I, felt, I feel kind of bad because I always tell you you need to look in the Bible with me, um, but I just purposefully didn't put it up because I don't want it to be a distraction. I want you just to listen. First Timothy 2, verses 1 through 6, can be summed up that we are to pray for our leaders. Quote, we are to live a quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Why? Paul says here so that people can be saved, so they, they can know the truth of Jesus Christ. It's about reflecting Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 through 12, Paul says to them, I taught you to love one another. I urge you to do this more and more, he says. And then he says this, to aspire to live quietly. And to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that, and then he says this, ultimately so that your walk may show the outsiders who Jesus is. He asked for them to bring peace into the church. Well, that letter to the Thessalonians, we just saw Paul in the book of Acts as we've been going through um, Paul's encounter there in Thessalonica. And as he shared the gospel, was Paul living quietly in Thessalonica? It causes us to question, what does Paul mean when he writes to them in a letter to live a quiet life? When we see in Acts 17 that here Paul is accused of acting against Caesar, the government. 1 Peter 2, verses 19 through 25, says this, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every institution. Titus 3, starting in verse 1, says to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Why? It ties back to what he says in chapter 2, verse 4. So that our good works may show 
Jesus Christ. Romans 13. You've probably heard that passage a lot used. Romans 13, verses 1 through 5. Rulers are not a terror to good. They're not a terror to good conduct, Paul says, but to bad. Most rulers are, right? How would Paul explain Romans 13 when it comes to Hitler or Nero? Were they good conducts? Were they supporters of good or of evil? When we read the Bible, context is critical. When we read these five passages, it shows us principles to live by. These are not necessarily absolutes. There's principles in them. We should seek to obey those who have authority over us. We need to pray for those who have authority over us. Do we obey everything that they tell us? Well, let's go back to John the Baptist when he encounters King Herod and calls him on the carpet before everyone when he calls him an adulterer as he is sleeping with his brother's wife. Or let's go back even farther to Daniel as Daniel disobeys the king's orders and prays regularly to his God. Or what about Daniel's three friends who say, we will not bow down and worship any other God. And if our God chooses to save us, then good. But if he chooses not, we will still not bow to anyone else. The laws of men are sometimes in conflict with the laws of God. Look at Acts 5, verse 29. When Paul says, I will obey God rather than man. Or if you flip back a little bit before that in verse chapter 4, verse 19, when he's on trial for talking about Jesus and they bring him before and say, you must stop talking about this Jesus. And he says, you decide for yourself whether it is better for me to obey you or to obey God. The truth is, some things are not black and white. Some issues are very gray. I know that's really hard for some of you. Some of you, that is extremely difficult because you want it this way or this way. Paul dedicates a passage in Romans 14. You can read it, verses 1 through 23, where he talks about a gray issue. That issue at that time was whether or not they were going to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. So would you cause a brother to stumble just because you love meat? Essentially, he's asking them, who will you love more? Will you love your brother? When we make decisions, and I will talk a little bit more about this in just a moment, but we must look at scripture and we must be convicted in our conscience and we must ask ourselves: is defiance legitimate? Here's the truth. And I think we all would admit this today. Our government policies are moving farther and farther away from biblical principles. I'll say it one more time just so you don't miss it. Our government and the policies that they are enacting are moving farther and farther from biblical principles. 
So, what are some of the principles that we see that God's word tells us about the church? Well, in Ephesians 5.19, Paul says that you should gather together and sing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26 says, when you come together, it's not if the terminology there in the Greek is very clear. It's an assumption when you come together. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, Paul says, the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and to share it, store it up. So that we may carry your gift to Jerusalem. What he's saying is when you gather together, be purposeful to set aside this gift for the church in Jerusalem who desperately need it. Well, how do you do that? You have to gather. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says this, stir one another up, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. What we find is when we gather together as the body of Christ, we encourage one another. It's the way God made us. The friction that we've encountered has been when the restrictions that we have been given oppose or they contradict what Scripture tells us. So we ask questions. How do we worship? What are the reasons for prohibiting or restricting are the messages clear and transparent is it possible to sift through and clearly see what the truth is it's amazing that even with all of our communication methods that we have today things continue to get more and more murky it's hard to have clarity it's hard to know what the truth is. A lot of times our decisions that we make each day are sometimes what is easiest to do. They lead us down a path that may be the least resistance. If we follow our culture and we follow the society that we live in today. This leads us down a path that is not scriptural. I want to share with you four examples that I am seeing today. The first is this. It's a preservation mentality. Self-preservation. And it says this. I will do anything that I can to assure my survival. I will avoid injury, hurt, pain, and suffering. Think about it for a moment. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if God is not the one that you place your trust and faith in, you are trying to do everything you can to preserve your life. That's where we are to be different. Because what does the Bible tell us about this mentality of preservation? Well, in Romans 12, verse 1, Paul says to present our body as a living sacrifice, which is our spiritual worship. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave his life for me. What does a follower of Christ look like? Matthew 16 tells us very clearly. As Jesus lays out for his disciples, what does it look like to be his disciple? I want to read you this passage because I think it's critical and important. 
so that you understand what is God requiring as we follow him. Matthew 16, verse 24. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? To deny yourself. It's not about self-preservation. It's about denying yourself. It's about a life of sacrifice, not a life of ease. We carry our cross. Our example is our Savior when he carried our cross. And we follow Christ, surrendering, laying down our life. Because when we lay down our life, we really have life. So the first is this preservation mindset that has crept in to the church. The second is this. I am in control. I love it when Luke says in Luke 12, verses 22 through 31, when he's talking about anxiety and concern and worry. He asked this question, Jesus does, who can add an hour to his life? Can you add an hour to your life? I know there's some of us that have signed up for an extra hour to get some things done or to rest or to accomplish. Jesus says, who can add an hour? Well, no one can. He said, if you can't accomplish that small thing, read the passage. Luke 12, it's a parable of the rich fool who stores up this great wealth and says, oh, that I may have more, so I'll tear down this barn and I'll build a new one, which will be bigger and better, and who dies. Job says in Job 14, verse 5, that man's days are determined. David says, in a book were written every day before he was, in Psalm 139, verse 16. Psalm 9, verse 10 says, help us to number our days. Verse 12 says, some will live seven, 70, or reason of strength 80 for some. The reality is, is God has written exactly how many days you will live. And there is not one thing that you can do that will change that. That does not minimize our choices. And in no way does that take away and make us robots compared to the sovereignty of our God. It shows the bigness of our God, and we should wrestle with that. God is so big, and he has an understanding that we cannot comprehend. And so for us to think that we can control our lives is an act of arrogance and pride that I believe is despicable to God. We are not in control. It makes me think of God's response to Job. Where were you? What control do you have? God has control over all things. The third is this. Who is Savior? Where's your confidence? Where have you placed your hope? 
How do you find security? Let me be very clear here. I am thankful that God has seen fit to bless us with some wonderful doctors, wonderful nurses, wonderful minds. I am thankful for the vaccines that we have. Is a vaccine a savior? Can science figure everything out? No. James says it this way in James 1.16. He says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. So when you and I experience something good, it in and of itself is not God. God has provided that. He gets the glory. He is where we are to place our confidence. He is where we can have hope. I love what James says at the end of that. So every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And he says, do not be deceived, brothers. Don't be deceived. God is still in control. The fourth way that I believe our culture and society has led us down a path that we should not go is this mindset of entitlement. It leads to judgmental mindset and it leads to division. It's us saying that I have a right to do this or to say this. Unfortunately, we've allowed this to come into the church. We've allowed the church to be divided. When our world needs to see Jesus the most, we have become divided. We've made some mistakes. Where sin abounds, what does Paul say? Grace abounds all the more. What does he call us to? He calls us to humility, though. We are to humble ourselves when we make mistakes and when we sin. That's when grace abounds all the more. How has this been shown? Well, through social media. I don't care what your take is, whether it's good or bad. Social media and the posts that have been made have caused division in the church. The amount of time spent talking talking about what is right or what is wrong, talking about if this should be happening or this should not be happening, the amount of time and focus that has been taken away from serving and loving people and sharing Jesus Christ. False thoughts and feelings. It is absolutely amazing to me. Again, I am not here to condemn and I am not here to judge. I'm here sharing you with you my heart. There are people who won't walk into this place because they feel that people who aren't wearing a mask and if they are, are judging them. Or the opposite. And I know this because they tell me. People that don't wear a mask and walk in here when other people are wearing a mask, that they look at them funny and they feel judged. Do you know where that mindset comes from? It's demonic. Let's call it what it is. Let's bring things to the light.
you're thinking that people are looking at you weird. People are judging you. Or as some people have accused me. That I don't really love you. If I don't make people wear masks. We got to stop the nonsense. It's time to stop. It's a level of entitlement. It's a level of pride. It's a lack of humility. And it's a lack of doing what I read to you earlier. That John calls out that we are to love one another. Here are three things that I want to share in light of where we have been and where I believe God has us going. Number one is this. I believe in absolute truth. Do you? I believe in absolute truth and I believe it is found in God's word. Absolute truth is not found in tradition. It's not going to be found in science, nor is it going to be found in logic. Absolute truth has been given to us through the very word of God, breathed out to you and to me. Psalm 19, verse 160 says, the sum of your word is truth. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God proves true. 2 Samuel 7, verse 25, David says, O Lord, you are God and your words are true. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, a verse that hopefully you're working on and memorizing says that all scripture is God-breathed. I shouldn't need proof to believe that this is true. Here's an example. Purity has become subjective, not objective. If you believe that purity is whatever you want, or this kind of, and I'm going to say the word, because I think we need to teach our children, this kind of sex is not really sex, but this is sex. Remember having that encounter just a few years ago with the president when he was called on the carpet? That's not really but this is, what does God's word tell us? Purity is very clear. What does God's word tell us when it comes to us as human beings? It says that we are born male and female. I didn't say that. I didn't come up with that. But I believe that. Why? Because God says it. Marriage is between one man and one woman. It's not because Aaron said it. It's because who said it? God said it. His word is absolute truth. I'm called to love and to show grace. That's what I love about our Savior. See, Jesus, John says it in, first John, in John chapter 1, that Jesus came in the fullness of truth and grace. That's our example. I'm, I'm incomplete. I'm a sinner. And so I won't be able to do it in the fullness like Jesus did. But that's my goal. That's what I'm striving for. To live in the fullness of truth and grace. Some of you need more grace. And some of you need more truth. Well, I believe in absolute truth. And I believe this is the bedrock for how we live our lives. Number two, I believe that the church is God's established and living organism. Not organization. It's a living organism in which God has promised to work. 
and in which God has chosen to show the world his saving grace. We're walking through that as we walk through the book of Acts. We're seeing how God established his church. We are the body of Christ. Jesus said this to Peter in Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church, God's established and living organism. We live in the power of Christ's blood. We talked about that earlier in communion. Others are added to the body of Christ by the supernatural work of the spirit. We are many members, but we are part of one body. We are to care for, to serve one another. We are not to be consumers. We are to be givers. You can't give if all you're doing is watching on a screen. There has been a time and a place to watch. There is coming a time for all of us to gather back together. It's easier to sit at home. It's easier to sit in your pajamas and your cup of coffee. It's just easier. I wish I had that privilege. I didn't, and that's okay. But I get it. I understand it. But how can we give when we never gather? The third is this. I believe that we have and are going through what we are going through is a test run for what is to come. I believe that what we have encountered in the last year is just setting the stage. It's setting for the stage and I don't, I'm not getting political. This is not about politics this morning. You haven't heard me say one thing besides the one president comment, and that was about purity and defining it. This isn't about politics, but what we see is there is a setting of the stage for good versus evil. Ultimately, it is setting the stage for us to be persecuted. So I ask you a few questions. Who are you following? Who are you following? You can't serve two masters. Don't play games. Jesus Christ, follow him. Listen to his word. What are your convictions? You better know what you believe because you may have to die for it. Some of you don't want to hear that. Some of you don't think that we're even close to that. I don't know what is coming. I'm not God. But when I look at the history books and I read history, what we are seeing and what the Bible tells me is that things are not going to get better. They will not get easier. And so we need to know what we believe and ask ourselves, are we willing to stand for it? Where's your perspective? Let me ask you this. What do you think Jesus thinks of you? Because you better have a proper hold of that. You better have a proper understanding of how God looks at you so that you're not making decisions based upon fear, fear of his judgment or fear of his wrath being poured on you. God loves you. And if you are his child, he has promised, A, you have everything that you need to walk in this world. Two, he has promised that he will never leave you and he will always be there. 
He has promised that you have a home. And he's preparing it. So not only do we need to ask ourselves what our perspective of is how God sees us through the blood of Jesus, but then we need to ask ourselves, what can man do to us? Not as a revolt, not to push out our chest and to say, bring it on. I'm going to fight you. We're called to be gentle as doves. But ask yourself, when you think about the millions of men and women and in children who have sacrificed their life for the cause of Christ, what can man do to us? Nobody can take God away from you. Nobody and nothing can separate his love from you. And so we have this war because we're naturally drawn and our world tells us to preserve ourselves and our families. I would die for my children. Would you die for your savior? Would you die for truth? Why do you do what you do? Why do you say what you say? Why do you live the way you live? Confidence, hope, security, peace. They all come from a relationship with Jesus. And let me caution you. If you find your confidence, your hope, your security, your peace... In other things, other than your relationship with Jesus, be careful. Because those can be stripped away. Sometimes God in his great love strips those away from us. So that we will rely upon him more. So that our trust will be greater. John 14 verse 27, Jesus says to his disciples... Peace I give to you. Where's our citizenship? It's not here. So we die for the truth. We sacrifice for the truth. We live for the truth. It's worth it. Some of you are going to be called to stand for the truth. And there are going to be consequences. It may not be your life. It may be abandonment. It may be that you lose your job because you take a stand. That's where the Lord comes into play and that's where the body of Christ comes into play. In times of persecution, when we've seen the church at its finest, is when people have had to sacrifice and the church has rallied around them to help care for them. That's what I want West Hill to be. That's what we should be. That if somebody is over here and they lose their job because they stood up for truth, that we're there. Willing to sacrifice and to give and to provide for them. My final question. What are we doing? What are you doing? Are you just living life? Trying to just sludge through this? I challenge you. It's time. It's time. It's time to pursue Jesus in a deeper way. We do that by this, repent. Understanding that sin starts in our heart. It's a heart condition. And we need to continually come to Jesus, admitting and acknowledging that we have many faults and shortcomings.
We are to continue to pursue Jesus, to love him and obey him. To love him above all else. We are called to love others, to be compassionate, not judgmental, serving one another. We are called to be fully engaged, fully engaged in the local body of Jesus. How do we do that? There's lots of ways. It starts by praying. Praying for one another. And as God leads you in praying, he may lead you to talk to someone, to go out of your way, pursue somebody, to see how they're doing, to check in on them, to encourage them and let them know that you've been praying for them. Maybe you become a greeter. We all know how important that is as you walk into this facility to have a warm smile, somebody kind. What about music? Some of you who have the gift of music to be able to come and to share that so that it may encourage us as the body to fully engage. Maybe it's serving in children's ministry. Maybe it's in the kitchen. Maybe it's to help with our Easter breakfast. That the details have been laid out in your bulletin. Maybe it's to join us in our outreach at the carnival. That we're beginning to plan and I ask for your prayers. It is not a good time to have an outreach event. Our carnival has been one of the greatest ways that we have shown love and compassion and reached families. I believe God wants us to do it. Why? I believe he's put it on our heart. I can't tell you exactly why. I can give you reasons why we shouldn't. But I also know this. The same God that protected Israel from all the plagues in Egypt is the same God that we serve today. God may seem fit to allow some of us to get a virus or to get tuberculosis or to get some other kind of disease and where we all die. Let's go. Dying for our Savior, serving others, trusting that he has a plan, using the head that he's put on our shoulders, but also allowing our hearts to trust in a God that is sovereign and in control. I praise God that the best of my knowledge, there has been no virus that has come or spread from this place. People have gotten it. I had it. I'm thankful for God's protection. And just as God protected me in the middle of November, God protects me today. And he protects you. We're called to fully engage in this local body. Be around. Be available. Don't be judgmental. Be focused on the gospel. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you don't want to wear a mask, don't wear a mask. We, as leadership here, have decided that we will no longer mandate masks on Wednesday night. We haven't necessarily mandated it on Sundays. We're leaving that decision up to individuals, your conviction, your walk, with Jesus. It's been difficult. Some of you know that. I'd like to say that I went to Bible college and they told me how to walk through a pandemic with the church. That's not the case. 
I made you a promise that as we started back after those nine weeks of being strictly online, I made you a promise that we would be thorough, that we would work hard, but that we were not going to rush. And coming back and serving and in our ministries. I still hold to that promise. And it's been my responsibility and I will stand before God. I truly believe that the Bible tells me that I as your pastor will stand before God and give an account for how I have led you. I hope you know. I want nothing but the best for you. It isn't about getting more people here. It's not about more numbers. It's not about accomplishing more things. It is that we would love Jesus more. And we've allowed some of the stinking thinking of our world and our culture to invade us. And it's been heavy on my heart. I pray my prayer has been and is this morning that if you need to repent and turn, that you would turn from your sin. If you need to ask the Lord for forgiveness for not engaging fully with him, that you would do that. God has called us as a church, as the body, to function together. Let's continue to do that. I was telling somebody this morning when I was finishing all this yesterday, I um, was a little discouraged because I knew I wouldn't have time to share about all the good things. And so I don't leave you here this morning as it's all doom and gloom. God is doing amazing things. And some of the hardest times are when the light shines the brightest. And God is opening hearts of people and of lives. People are searching and asking spiritual questions that they never were before. Let's seize the opportunity. Let's not fall back. Let's not fall away. In the strength of his might, we walk forward. Would you stand with me? And as we stand, would you pray? Would you pray this silently? Lord, before you this day, I am bringing you my life. And I am offering it as a living sacrifice. And I desire in an act of worship that you would use me. Use me for your glory. Deliver me from my self-preservation. Deliver me from the mindset of thinking that I'm in control. Deliver me from the entitlement that I think I have. Lord, we stand as imperfect people. But I believe with all my heart, Lord, that you are desiring to use us in this time and in this place to do amazing things. As it was said to Esther, you were born for a time just like this. And I believe that you've brought this group of people in this body and others who will join us for a time just like this.
So help us most of all, Lord, that we would daily pursue Jesus. That his word would be our truth, our absolute truth. The truth that controls our life. The truth that we would be willing to lay down our life for. Or maybe just sacrifice a little more. Whatever you have. I thank you for these people. Thank you for their patience. I thank you for their love for you. Help us to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.